Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Amen. Uh, so, all of us have questions that we want answered in life. And as far as how those questions get answered, sometimes those questions either leave, give us a lot of hope or it makes us feel like we didn't get the answer that we wanted. Have you ever watched a, a politician trying to answer questions from reporters or maybe their PR person? I don't care what side of the aisle it is. It's like they do their best not to answer anything that was asked. Uh, the, the question could be about, hey, how's the economy doing? And all of a sudden they're talking about crocodiles in the Everglades. And you're like... I don't think you heard the question right. Um, there's actually a reporter, a really well-known reporter. He says, as a rule, I never ask the same question more than twice. I don't have to. A non-answer becomes an answer, and it never reflects well on the non-answerer. And you guys have all heard that kind of thing before. You, you, you're waiting for this right answer, and it's like, that didn't, that didn't make me feel confident in what you know as a person. Uh, but I don't think it's just politicians that do this. You and I both know we do this at times. You ever been asked by a little kid where do babies come from? You probably weren't super straightforward in your answer. It's like, well, it's just a gift from God that, you know, and it gets in mommy's tummy. And now the little kid's thinking that there's this little Jesus wrapping gifts inside mom's tummy, and now it's going to pop a little baby sister or brother. Like that's, we, we mess things up when we don't give out full out answers, right? Or maybe this one. Hey, do I look nice in this? Yeah, been asked that one before, huh, buddy? And so you're like, I well, I mean, you've, you've never not looked good, and I would never say anything. You know what I mean? No, I don't. What are you, what are you trying to get at here? We want real answers. Uh, even to the little questions in life, we want real answers. Some of the best writing that I've, that I've ever read is comes from this pastor, and he gives one of the most pointed spiritual questions I think that Christians want a good answer to. I think you'll see it up on the screen. He says, does Jesus only enable me to make the cut when I die, or to know what to protest, or how to vote, or agitate, or organize? It is good to know that when I die, all will be well, but is there any good news for life? And he goes on to say, Jesus' enduring relevance is based on his historically proven ability to speak to, to heal, and to empower the individual human condition. I absolutely love what he's saying there. You know, he's kind of giving this question of, does God offer me anything but going to heaven? Does he offer me something good for this life? And he would say, he offers me way more than just that. He offers me something that speaks into what my human condition is. And believe me, all of our human conditions, they're messed up. And he's saying, God speaks into that human condition. And I think this question of what hope does God offer me today, it is a question, it's not just a question for, for believers, it's a question for non-believers. I think that's one of the main questions that we come into a church with. Like, what can God actually give to me today? We want a hope that matters. Not just a hope that matters when I die. We want a hope that matters right now. That it can actually do something in my, in my daily life today. And I love how, how the gospel writer John expresses this hope that gets found in Jesus. He says this. In John 1 verse 4, life was in him. Now I'm going to be honest. I don't know what translation that was. Because I read it 
in a book. Uh, but that translation is a really cool translation. I'm telling you that my life doesn't make sense if I separate it apart from Jesus. Like there's just, I don't even know how to, how to exist at this point without attaching myself to Jesus. Because he gives me all of, all of the, the understanding of life that I need to have. Looking at life through his eyes instead of through my eyes. It changes things. Looking at the end game that Jesus has in store rather than just the end game that I've, I feel like this life is leading me to. Uh, life in Jesus makes sense of all of the mess. And most of us, we come in here today with some type of mess. And life in Jesus can make sense of that. And so today we're going we're gonna to take a look at this kind of hope. How we can have hope in the midst of all of this stuff. Um, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, uh, looking through verses 1 through 8. Again, this is, we're, we're, we're started last week in this Central Strong series, just kind of talking about what we as a church really believe. Last week was kind of more vision type stuff. Today is what we believe about this hope that we can have in God. And I'm telling you, I love this passage in Romans 5 because Paul, the guy who writing it, he's a guy who gets suffering and he gets hope. And he, he meshes these two together. And I want you to read what he says here. It says, Therefore, since I have been justified, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace through, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, I think it's really interesting here how Paul meshes these two ideas of suffering and hope together. A lot of us, we would look at, we would look at suffering and hope and we might say suffering and hope are like they're diametrically opposed to one another. They don't, they don't, it's like oil and water. Like they don't go together. But I actually think that suffering and hope, they're like a blend that you have to have together. You know, if, if everything in life is perfect, I, I don't have anything to hope for anymore because everything is perfect. In fact, when everything in life is really good, I've said this before, when everything in life is really good, that's when I start to think everything's going to turn. I have like a lack of hope when everything's good. But it's in the midst of suffering, when we're going through something better on the horizon, that Jesus can actually change my circumstances from what they are to what he wants them to be. And so there's sort of a threefold uh, discussion that Paul puts in here about hope. Kind of three things I'd say that he talks about as it comes to hope. The first one we see in verse 2. He says that uh, we can boast in the hope of the glory of God. I'm not going to talk long on this one. I think it's a big deal what he's saying here. Uh, but really what he's saying is we can have confidence. We can rejoice in the glory of God that we're going to get to partake in it at some point. Maybe we're not fully partaking in it right now. But what God has done through Jesus Christ and how he's glorified his son, not only in him dying but being raised from death, we get to have, we get to have confidence that that glory is going to also be ours. Okay? Now, that's a big deal what he's talking about, but I don't want to spend all my time on that today. I want to get to the next part. 
Okay, so in verse 3, Paul says something that honestly, it sounds kind of crazy. He says that we should have hope in our suffering. Dude's insane. Like, why would we have hope in our suffering? Suffering stinks. Uh, my, my good friend Chad Hopkins, last week, last Sunday, he went and did an Ironman. That's crazy. Like, I don't know, it's like two-something miles of swimming, which right there, just kill me now. All right? And it was like 120 miles of biking and then a marathon of running. And he smiled, like, at the end. Because that's just the way he is. But I love it. I love the insanity that this guy went through, go through in six months of just training his body so that he could suffer. And so that hopefully on the day that he did it, he wasn't going to suffer quite as bad. Um, but there's something... We look at suffering all the time as like, oh, it's just the one thing that I want to keep away from. I want to keep away from. Yeah, let's be honest. Suffering stinks. But the truth is, I think as you'd see it as how Paul writes about it, suffering is actually something that we're not supposed to look at that way all the time. Suffering actually has a good quality to it when we look at it with the right frame of mind. But I think that we, the way that we view suffering it is greatly going to affect the way that we're going to establish a hopeful mindset, a hopeful demeanor when we're going through tough times. Uh, again, nothing that I'm saying today, I don't want to sugarcoat suffering. Some of you are in this room right now and you're like, if he's trying to make, make me feel like I should feel good about what I'm going through right now, I'm, I'm going to get up and walk out. I get it. Suffering stinks. We're not going to sugarcoat it. But I think that God wants to use it for an advantage. We can't wrap our minds sometimes around how, how can God be good and allow, allow me to go through the things that I've gone through. It's really the essence of the problem of evil. How can a good God be good and allow the evil to happen that happens? That is, that's like question number one for people that, that want keep to keep an arm's length away from God. How can God be good and still allow bad stuff to happen? And probably a lot of you, you've already come to kind of a, a conclusion about, about what you think about that. Some of you, you're like, I don't really know what I think about that, but I'm just going to blindly trust God and love him anyhow, even though I think that all the bad stuff is awful. Uh, some of you are maybe still in that place of like, ah, that's kind of what's keeping me from God. And I get that. The question is, why would God allow suffering? Why would God allow suffering? I think we struggle with this question because we look at God, we look at what Scripture says and, and the character of God, and God is supposed to be a loving God. He's supposed to be a caring God, and yet it's like we feel we're not cared for sometimes by what we end up having to go through. If God is love, and, and it says in 1 John 4, 16, it, it literally says God is love. So if he's love, then how do we reconcile all this? What is the character of love itself? If God does everything in love, like what actually makes up love? And I think there's something that we really need to kind of understand about what love is. Love requires the freedom to love. Love requires the freedom to love. But what that, what that also means is love requires the freedom to do the opposite. If love is actually going to be love, there has to be a freedom to love or to not love. The way I, I describe it to students a lot of times, because this is something that students struggle with a ton. Um, the way I'll describe it is, if you, if you were in a country where there was a dick, things for me, you have to support me and serve me. Love me. And so you do all these things that on the outside it looks like it's serving kinds of things. I, then I ask the kids, okay, 
is that love? Does that mean that you love that dictator? And they're like, no, not even close. Because actual love means that there has to be an option not to. That's what I love about what Jesus did in the Garden of Eden. He puts, puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he's like, okay, now you've got a choice. You can not eat from the tree that you're not supposed to, or you can eat from the tree that you're not supposed to. And they're like, all right, let's eat from the tree that we're not supposed to eat from. He gave them a choice to either do as they were asked to do or not to do. And so what happens is, in that choice, a whole big mess of yucky happens. Some people don't like this explanation about why would God allow evil? Why would God allow suffering? They say that a loving God still wouldn't allow all these bad things to happen that, frankly, I did nothing to do to deserve that. Now really, did we do nothing to do, did we not deserve some of the things that have come in our lives. A lot of things that happen, we don't deserve it. But the truth is, is that we look at deserving and not deserving in kind of some messed up, warped ways. You know, I, I, with my wife, I constantly talk about this. When it comes to my wife, there's no doubt that she has to offer me a lot more grace than I have to offer her as a human. I don't say that to be cute. It's just the way that it is. Um, she has to offer me a lot more grace. But still, I will find myself sometimes frustrated with her if I feel like she says something to me and it feels like it's a little bit short. Like, all of a sudden you, you feel this thing and you're like, hey, what did I do to deserve that attitude? If you are married or you have a best friend, you probably have been in that place before. Because that's the way we are. We're people. And while I might get frustrated over one interaction, if I'm being honest, I have to look at the whole, the whole scope of our relationship and realize that I'm more deserving of less grace than I am of grace. That maybe in that one moment, maybe, maybe my wife had a bad day and did respond to me in a way that wasn't totally fair. But in the whole scheme of things, I've been given a lot more grace. God, why have you, why have you let all this stuff happen? And then it's like we fail to see all the stuff that we've been forgiven for. All the ways that we've been given grace. And I think it... Again, just a little change in our frame of mind and the way that we see this, it can help us. I have done my fair share of adding into the sin of the world. And the consequence of that is this world is never going to be perfect. And so we're going to deal with a lot of ugly stuff. We're going to deal with having to deal with our fair share of that ugly stuff. And so while we're complaining about, uh, about all these evils to God, that we're enduring and we're right in the middle of it, sometimes we forget the thing that can inspire hope in us. We can know, based on what we see in Scripture, what the character of God is. And because what the character of God is, we can know that God does not desire suffering for us. He doesn't want suffering for us. We know that, I think we know that more than anything because of what he did in bringing his son Jesus into the world to take away the sin of the world. He says in John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This might not be the thing that we want to hear when it comes to suffering, but I think we need to make sure we understand this. Suffering is a necessary evil, literally a necessary evil, to enjoy love that is true and not forced, which wouldn't be real love at all. 
if we're going to have a real relationship with God, one that is loving, one that is true, suffering gets welcomed into the world by nature. Now, ultimately, his, his ultimate desire is one day he's going to take away the suffering of the world. But in his grace, he takes away our sin problem. Doesn't necessarily mean our suffering problem is going away anytime soon. Now, maybe you can say, you can look at all what I've said so far, and you're like, okay, Kellen, I get it. I can, I can kind of understand why God would allow suffering in the world. But what about this? Why would God allow suffering to be prolonged? Because some of you are like, I, yeah, I get, I get suffering. All, all good with it. But why is my suffering so much worse than everybody else's? Why has it gone on so long? I'm sick and tired of this. I don't know if I can go on any longer. You know, just this, uh, this last week, some of you, you, most of you probably got an email. Uh, we had um, one of my favorite people in the world pass away this week. Uh, Bernice Bray. She's 92 years old. And I'm telling you, this woman, if there's ever been a woman who has lived her life with joy and just, she's like a bundle of energy and love. Uh, even in the last few, few weeks where her health, her health was going down for about the last two years or so. Um, and even in the last couple weeks where she couldn't talk a ton, she would communicate with her eyes in a way that's like, yeah, there's still spunk in there. Um, just a precious, precious person. But she dealt with plenty of stuff in her life, um, plenty of struggles. But she continued to have that kind of that, that gift about her. Uh, but this week, uh, I was talking with her daughter, Kathy, and the, the thing that stuck out to me, what she said at one point, she said, I, I just, I don't understand at this point why, why the, the pain has to be prolonged at this point. And can I tell you, that is such a fair question, an absolutely fair question. It's hard for us to see someone that we love struggling. It's hard, it's hard for us to see ourselves struggle and go through times that just seem like they're going on longer than they should. Why would God let that happen? Why would he let things continue to go on difficultly for such a long time? And I think it's important for us when we think through this question, we got to go back to the character of God. To have a strong hope, it's necessary to take our minds off our circumstances and to place our thoughts on the character of God and on the character that God wants to grow in us. I know those moments where it's the biggest struggle in my life. The character God is wanting to grow in me, to, to change me, to mold me in a certain way. There's a reason for what we're getting put through. The character of God is not rude, it's not abusive. Look throughout the Bible, that's, just, that's not the character of God. He doesn't desire harm upon us. But I think maybe he views our difficult times a little differently than we do. When we're in the midst of it, man, it seems like it's, it's, it's the end of the world. Like not, Time is just standing still and, oh my goodness, I, this is just so long. But God even, as he sits outside of time, he views time even differently. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Maybe for whatever reason, God extends our difficulties to bring about something in us, a change that he couldn't get any other way. It might feel excruciatingly hard in those moments, I have to trust the character of God that God knows more than I do. I'm not all-knowing. 
that there's got to be a reason why what's happening is happening. Maybe a long illness is there to prepare the family to be able to let go when the time is to let go. Maybe it's to prepare the person who's struggling in the long illness to get things set in order. Relationships with people, relationships with God. Maybe suffering is actually a grace that God uses to help us depend on him in a way that we never would have otherwise depended on him. I know God uses some of the most difficult things, things that while you hated going through them, you wouldn't want to have it any other way because it's made you into the better person that God has called you to be today. You know, so I, I want to point for a little bit here as we, as we get towards the end. I want to point to a story about three really familiar people to a lot of us in Scripture. Jesus was really close with three people that weren't considered his closest, you know, 12 disciples. And the story of these three is, is I think a lot of people's one of their favorite stories. You got these siblings who just kind of, they're random people, but they become like best friends with Jesus. And there's a, a portion in, in Scripture where it talks about how Jesus was in a city about a, a day's journey away from where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were at. And comes town of Bethany, and he was about a, a day's walk away from there. And somebody from the town comes to Jesus and is like, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is dying. Like, he's super sick, pretty sure he's going to die. And it's really interesting what Jesus does in that situation. A lot of you would be like, oh, that's, he's like Lazarus' best friend. He's going to run to Lazarus and get there as quick as he can because Jesus can heal people. And that's why the, this person came to the town to talk to Jesus. But it's interesting what happened. Jesus says to his disciples that are close by, he says, this situation's not going to end in Lazarus' death. But then he stayed there for two more days. Two more days, Jesus stays in the town that he's at, and he's, he's ministering to people, he's healing people there. And then finally, he goes back to this town of Bethany. The problem is, by the time that he gets there, what's happened? Lazarus is dead. In fact, the Bible says that he was, he was dead for four days. And the math might not seem like it adds up if Jesus only stayed there for two days. Well, it probably took a day or more for this person to get to Jesus. And then he stayed there two days. And then Jesus had to go and travel there for another day or whatever. And so by the time he gets there, you've got Mary and Martha. Where they, were, they were beyond the point of desperation to the point of devastation. And he gets there and he sees these women crying. They're weeping. They're like, Jesus, if you had just come when we asked you to come, we know our brother would be alive today. But now he's, he's in the tomb and he's actually, he's decomposing. When Jesus actually said, like, open up the tomb later on, they're like, ah, Jesus, he's going to stink. Like, don't, don't do that. But I remind you, Jesus, from the very beginning, he knew what he was going to do in this story. He knew that Lazarus was going to be healed. Well, but the problem was Mary and Martha didn't, they weren't privy to this information. And so there was four, at least four days of them just being beyond themselves, beside themselves, with hurt, with grief, with desperation. I want you to know what happened then. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. And it didn't happen until after Jesus had come to this town and seen Mary and Martha in their devastation. That's the point where Jesus wept. It says in Matthew eleven thirty three, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come, see, it wasn't at the point until he was confronted 
with their hurt and their suffering and their pain. And when Jesus got there and he saw that, something went off in Jesus' emotions. Now there's a lot of people that would say, uh, the reason that Jesus cried and, and wept in this situation is because of, of the sin of the world and that there's death in the world or, or he was sad because J Lazarus was dead and so he was sad too. And I'm like, Jesus knew all along what he was going to do with Lazarus. I think it's because he saw the pain. He saw the hurt. And his empathy stepped in in that situation to meet Mary and Martha where they were. He was heartbroken over the pain that he had chosen to allow them to go through. Do you understand that? He could have come back before Lazarus died and taken care of the situation where Mary and Martha never would have had the pain that they went through. But he chose to allow them to go through something. Maybe it seems cruel, but there's something that caused him to want to do that. But even in his choosing to allow them to go through that, he went through pain. He went through hurt in his empathy for them. Why did he let them go to that point of desperation? See, I think desperation is important. Mary and Martha, in some way, for some reason, Mary and Martha, Jesus realized that this was for them to go through. Don't know why. Don't even almost have a good explanation for it. But God knew. In a way that only God can comprehend the situation. He is able to guide our spiritual development through the ministry of desperation. I love the way a guy named Doug Newton, he puts it better than I can. He says this. He does not pat our falls, but lets us be broken. He does not rescue us until we feel helpless. He does not shine light in the daytime, but lets the darkness settle in until we cry for illumination. Seems almost cruel to our modern ears that have been trained to believe parenting is all about protecting children from all pain. But letting children cry sometimes may be the most loving act of all. And God always knows when and why and how to let us cry. There is a true hope that can be found in God letting us go through some desperate times. God is shaping us. God is molding us. He's drawn us a little closer to him. And in our desperation, we can choose to, choose to trust his character or we can choose to decide that he is an uncompassionate, mean, bad God. We really only have one of two ways of looking at it. And the mindset that we choose is going to make a very big difference in the way that we live our day-to-day -day lives, but it's also going to make a difference in the way that we see eternity. We don't see in this, in this passage how Mary and Martha got changed from this situation. We don't really see the life change that took place. But I'm, I'm willing to bet that Mary and Martha were different after this. And in fact, I'm not so sure that maybe it wasn't Mary and Martha that Paul was thinking about when he wrote Romans chapter 5. Now this is just me having some conjecture. This might not be the case at all. But he writes in verse 3 and 4 of Romans 5. He says, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Paul had to have seen this happening in people's lives. What he's saying here about, about our sufferings producing all these things, producing per perseverance, then character, and then hope, he has seen this happen, whether it's been in his life or maybe he saw it in Mary and Martha. He's saying... There's a reason for the suffering. Suffering produces all of these things that leads us to more hope. That's why when you go through suffering 
the next time, because it's going to happen, if we've allowed our, our perseverance to create character and our character to create more hope, the next time we go through some suffering, there's more hope already there so that we are more prepared for it. And that's how God is trying to build us up. The hope in this life is... If all of our hope is based on, I just want the world to be easier for me, then we're going to never have a correct understanding of God. But if my hope is, I just want God to make me more like him. Now our sufferings can start to have some purpose to it. It's easy to say, I do not want growth if that's what it's going to take. I don't want growth. I don't want, I don't want perseverance. I don't want character growth. I don't want more hope if it's going to mean that I'm going to have to go through this stuff, Callan. Totally get it. And you know what? I often pray, you know, as I'm praying the end of the Lord's Prayer about, Lord, take, you know, keep me from evil and all that stuff. I, I have to pray through the whole thing to have the words right on it. I'm sorry. Okay. But, you know, take away evil. I oftentimes will be, God, like, could you just keep me in a, in a good place for a while? I don't want to suffer for a little while. I think he also hears that prayer. But I will say, I think that just like, you know, I, I, I bring it back to running a lot because that's something that I know. A runner doesn't want to go through hard workouts and, and run a lot of miles until they run a race and all of a sudden they realize that they're a lot faster and now the training doesn't seem quite so bad. As we grow more and more and God takes our character and grows it more and more and we have more and more hope because of the suffering and perseverance we've gone through, we start to, we start to get into those moments of suffering with a bit of a different mindset. Yeah, it still stinks. Nobody likes to go through it. There is not a workout running that any human has ever liked to go through. But what it brings us to, we start to realize, okay, it's worth it. But I also want you to know you're not alone in the pain. When you go through suffering, you're not alone in the pain. Worship team, you guys can come up here. We're, gonna, we're done in just a minute here. I love, again, how Doug Newton puts it with this story with, with Lazarus. He says, The insight that we gain from the miracle of Lazarus' resurrection is that the Lord Jesus' own sorrow ignites when he takes us deep into desperation. What love. The pain that you're going to go through in life, it is always going to be difficult. But I believe that Jesus is empathetic to us in that pain. You know, the way that I door and you hear them crying behind the door and you know that they maybe they've had a bad experience at school maybe somebody's been treating them awful and you're sitting at that door and you're crying yourself just got to the place where like I can't go I can't open this door right now they've got to suffer they've got to go through this they've got to figure out this part of life themselves but I can sit here at the door and I can weep along with them maybe really quietly so they don't know I'm hovering at their door because that's weird but that is the picture of Jesus. In the moment that we are in our place of pain, maybe it's a pain that nobody even knows, but he's there in empathy with us. He's there weeping alongside us. It's not that God is a God who is so evil that he would let us go through bad stuff. Because every time that we have to go through pain, he experiences it with us. He's right there. Now, I mentioned... Uh, two parts of, of hope that Paul talks about in Romans 5. I want to get to the third one here real quick. The third part is this. Hope does not put us to shame. So he said in verse 5, hope doesn't put us to shame. 
says that while, while some people might die for somebody who's good, Jesus came and died for us when we were at our worst, when we were completely ungodly, when we were, like 5.8 says, when we were the worst of sinners. And Jesus chose to die for us. See, I believe that our hope in Jesus can make us better, not just for eternity, but for today, for right now. It may not make your world easier to live in, but it can make you a little bit more like Jesus. And the greatest hope of all is this. Even when I struggle to get better, when I flounder around and feel like all I deserve is self-loathing, even in that place, Jesus still chose to die for me. When I feel like everybody that looks at my face during the day wants to punch it, Jesus doesn't. When I feel like all I can do is, is frustrate with my wife because I can't live up to being the person that I should be, Jesus still chose to die for me in that place. All the pain and all the suffering that we go through, he's right there with us. And also, he's spurring us on to become more like him. There's a cyclical nature to this. When I live in the hope that Jesus loves me, again, I don't want to sugarcoat anything that you're going through today. You might be going through some tough times. Most of us have something in our life today that we're struggling with. What is it that God is wanting to, where is he wanting to bring you in this? That perseverance, what kind of character is God trying to, to build up in you? that character, how is he trying to lead you as you gain, grow in character? How is he lead, trying to lead you to a little bit more hope? Every single one of us, we could use a little bit more hope. Every single one of us could use a little bit more character growth. And so if it takes a little bit of perseverance to get there, I don't know if that's the worst thing for us. But let's change our mindset in how we're looking at the things we're having to persevere. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.